The Truth News Network. Get the jab or wear the mask. The mask causes infections and hypoxia. The jab causes heart inflammation and anaphylaxis. And every hour of every day, warnings, threats, enticements, lures to get a so-called vaccine for a virus with a 99.987 recovery rate. How do you survive the lies? With a healthy injection of the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. Have you ever noticed in this COVID-19 vaccine thing that's going on, all the chaos, very little has come from the government in the way of enticing American citizens to go ahead and get the jab. What tools do they use? Fear, anger, hatred. You got to fit in. You don't want to be classified as a conspiracy theorist person. Just go ahead and get the jab. And of course, they tell us now, if you don't get the jab, you're going you're gonna to kill everybody else because you're going to give them the vaccine, folks. It has never been, nor has any vaccine ever been to keep you from infecting others. It's about personal protection. So why would they give us all of this stuff and tell us all of this stuff? It's for political power. It just boils down to that, folks. If you want to go all the way to the end of that spectrum of thoughts, you may come up with maybe they're trying to kill people. Maybe they're trying to control population on the planet. There's a lot of maybes there and a lot of possibilities there that we're classifying as maybes. And just maybe this, there may, there may be some truth in all of those. I don't think any of them are conspiracy theories just simply because We don't have any other answers. We don't have any absolutes. They, the federal government, the healthcare bureaucratic system, they've tried and tried and tried to convince us all, hey, we've got all the answers. Just don't question anything. Just listen to what we say and then do it. We are going to take care of you. And this government very seldom ever takes care of us, right? you got to take care of yourself. And they're trying to take that as a probability and as a responsible and as even an option for you. They're trying to take it away and give you one option. Get jabbed. Mask up. Listen to everything else we say. Or else. Yeah, there's an or else out there. And I hate to start the show this Monday morning talking about that. But it's a reality, folks. We're living in it. We've got to find ways to either reconcile it in our current lives or find ways to change it. Unless you just want to live with it. Live with it, deal with it just like it is. But that's kind of the antithesis to living in a free nation, isn't it? Aren't we all supposed to make our own choices, do what's best for us and for those in our circle of influence, like our wives, our husbands, our kids. And there are a whole lot of people that swore into doing that same thing, standing shoulder to shoulder with us to help us protect ourselves and our family members. A lot of those people now are just stepping to the side and pointing their fingers, calling us names, demeaning us in every way they possibly can. If you dare disagree with the politically correct narrative of the day, once again, Politics, 
politics everywhere. Well, hey there, everyone. Did you have a great weekend? Do you realize what week this is? This is Super Bowl week. We're going to SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles for Super Bowl this coming Sunday afternoon. Where are you going to be? Who are you going to be with? Are you going to the game? I know a lot of people that are going to the game. And a lot of people that are going to the game are griping about what happens, what processes must they go through to even be able to get in SoFi Stadium. And there's one little hurdle, a ticket. Do you know that if you look online, you can find some seats that are available and uh, you can find some seating charts for SoFi. If you look in the corners, the end zone corners, about two-thirds of the way up, which to be quite honest with you is not a really good spot from which to watch any football game, yet alone a Super Bowl game, $14,629 for one ticket. I know, I know, it's California. You know, it's the Los Angeles Rams where they play their games. That's their home stadium, and it's brand new, so we're all willing to pay even more money than normal because of all of those things. I'm not, folks. I'm not going. I've been to a couple of Super Super Bowls. Um, I've had some good seats at those Super Bowls, but I'm not going. It's gotten to where it's just not as much fun to be in the in the crowd as it is to sit in your den or your theater room and watch a game with all of everything going on. They bring us everything. We even go in the locker rooms. They bring all of that on our televisions. And you can sit in the warmth of your den with the people who you love, people you want to sit next to. <laughs> And you don't have to be worried about any of that kind of stuff, besides the dollars and cents. And speaking of Super Bowl, this morning, we're actually going to give you an inside peek of what might happen this coming Sunday in this Super Bowl game. We have one of the Cincinnati Bengals that's going to come on and chat with us in our second hour, Trent Taylor. Who's Trent Taylor? Number 11 for the Cincinnati Bengals. And you may remember him from that amazing catch that he made and scored that two-point conversion at the end of last, last week's game, which tied them with the Kansas City Chiefs, and it enabled Cincinnati to march down and kick a game-winning field goal. Trent Taylor's going to be with us. And we got a lot of personal history there. We'll tell you more about that a little bit later. What else are we going to get into today? Well, COVID-19 still rages around us, and the insanity still rages around us, and we still don't have real truthful answers on which we can rely. And at the end of the show, folks, I don't know that you're going to be able to get a lot more, but you're still facing every day, making decisions, making choices. What are you going to do? What's not acceptable? How are you going to keep yourself safe and keep your family, especially our kids, Keep our family safe. Didn't you think like I did almost two years ago? This is going to be a little like a flu season. We're going to go through and it'll go away and everything will normalize and we'll get back to life just like normal. I really thought that. But I tell you what, nothing like that has happened. Nothing. There are just as many questions, unanswered questions, today as we had when we first heard about COVID-19. 
It seems impossible to me that in this nation in which we live, with the technology and our ability to just grab information and go dig into the science of things and come up with solutions, we haven't done that. Which brings up a bunch of additional questions. Why haven't we done that? Why can't we get those answers? Or maybe we can, and the people that normally get them and share them with us, eh, they're not coming clean with us. I think maybe it may be a little bit of all of that thrown in together. What about you? Our coronavirus restrictions, they're just frozen right where we are. Some Democrats have been loosing their mandates, but on the national level, Joe Biden, uh-uh, sitting tight. The president largely ignored governors who asked him for a path out of the pandemic and restoring some degree of normalcy. That's what we're all looking for. Let's get back to business as usual. We need to move away from the pandemic. That's from Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson. And he told reporters that at the White House February 1st after he and other governors met with the president. Hutchinson said, and we asked the president to help give us clear guidelines on how we all can return, just get back to normalcy. But Biden's coronavirus team told reporters last week they don't have a timeline for lifting restrictions, even as those European countries, the ones that were so egregiously locked down for so long, they were way ahead of us. And folks, as bad as it may have been here for us during lockdowns and how many people didn't get to work, businesses were pushed out, it was way worse over in Europe. But now they're actually loosening their coronavirus policies. We will continue to reevaluate, and we know people are anxious. That was over the weekend from CDC head Rochelle Walensky. Dr. Fauci said Biden's team had to be totally honest about not knowing when the restrictions could be lifted. We can't guarantee that there will not be another variant that challenges us. But the best we can do with that is to be prepared for it. Boy, that made me feel just warm and fuzzy all over. Just like every time Dr. Fauci speaks, I hang on every word that he shares. He he previewed, gave us kind of a hint of better, more advanced vaccines that, according to him, will ultimately help Americans continue fighting COVID and its variants. I hope that's sooner than later, he said, when, as you have said, this will not dominate our lives. But governors in both parties, without the federal government, are exploring the idea of lifting restrictions on their citizens in their states. Governor Phil Murphy, Democrat of New Jersey. New Jersey, on his watch, Murphy's, the governor's watch, has been one of the worst lockdown, militarily almost, states. He said he's going to make an official announcement today to eliminate mask requirements for students and employees in schools. In January, the new governor of Virginia, Republican Glenn Youngkin, he took a bunch of steps to end the school mask mandates there, despite a lot of resistance from Northern Virginia school officials. Several countries 
in Europe have already beaten the U.S. on their timeline to loosen COVID restrictions and get back to some degree of normalcy. But late Friday night, I wonder why late Friday night, President Biden released a statement marking the deaths of 900,000 Americans from the virus, repeating his plea for the U.S. to come together to protect one another by getting vaccinated and, of course, booster shot. One, two, three, however many they tell us we're going to need. He said, after nearly two years, I know that the emotional, physical, and psychological weight of this pandemic has been incredibly difficult to bear. But the White House has signaled no change or even a timeline for a change in the federal pandemic response. And in the middle of all of this, folks, this president, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Walensky, and everybody else in this whole thing, they talk about those 900,000 Americans that have died And they've lied to us by using this term. 900,000 Americans have died from coronavirus. And the scientists are now actually coming out and saying, that's not true. That's not true. During the time period of our COVID-19 life, 900,000 Americans have died from something. Some of them have died from COVID-19, but the majority, we're now being told the majority of the 900,000 people that they told us, and Joe Biden doubled down on Friday night, they told us died from the virus, only died with the virus. Really big difference. Really big difference, you got to say. There's a whole lot of information that is known now that we're not being told as they learn it as fact. They're spoon-feeding us with some of that information. I think they're trying to soften the landing. But honestly, I think we're pretty close to having a crash landing, and I think it's going to be ugly when it happens. Speaking about getting information and finding out things, Last week, Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin had a committee hearing and invited a bunch of people, medical professionals, most of which were nurses, to come sit down with members of the United States Senate so they could ask and answer questions and get some real inside skinny on all things COVID from the actual people that are treating patients. I would think Ground floor would be where you would want to go if you wanted to find out what's really going on. Folks at the level that Dr. Fauci is at, Dr. Walensky, I would never go there to get facts. Fauci's never treated a single COVID-19 patient. Did you know that? Not one. Yet, on his word, the entire structure of the United States of America has morphed again and again and again because of something he tells us and he calls himself science. You know, this whole time he's been telling us and all the other leaders have picked up on what he says, you got to follow the science. Follow the science. If you ask Fauci, which was asked him in one committee hearing, where's the science come from? Fauci said, I'm the science. Well, in this committee hearing that Senator Johnson had last week, a lady named Nicole Sorotic 
Nicole Sarotic sat down and spoke to Senator Johnson. And folks, let me tell you this. I want you to, we, we're going we're gonna to play a segment of registered nurse Nicole Sarotic testifying before that Senate committee last week. And I want you to listen not only to what she says, but listen to the way she says it. And folks, she's coming from the side of I've treated patients. I've watched patients die in hospitals. But I've watched the process of these people dying in our hospitals and dying needlessly. Listen to Nurse Nicole Sarotic. Thank you, Senator, for giving me an uninterrupted opportunity to represent the harm that is coming to the patients in the American hospitals and the lack of early intervention. My name is Nicole Sirotek. I'm a registered nurse. I've been a registered nurse for over a decade. My specialty is critical care, trauma, and flight. Um, Since the start of the COVID pandemic, I've actually been rebranded, I guess you can say, as a leading expert in early intervention strategies executed on a large mass scale using the FLCCC protocol, as well as um, ventilator, or COVID patient ventilator protective strategies to optimize uh, COVID patients on the ventilators. My story actually begins back in May of 2020. I was one of the original nurses that went to NYC to help with the COVID pandemic, because as we remembered, they needed nurses. Most importantly, they needed ventilators. Well, I was the whole package, a flight nurse that can manage ventilators. And when I arrived there, um, the gross negligence and the medical you know, malfeasance that happened in there and the complete medical mismanagement of these patients is what had led a, has led us to the situation that we're in right now. The pandemic and the hysteria that was created from poor public health measures and poor execution of appropriate early intervention strategies and the handicapping of medical professionals doing their job has led to where we are right now and into the crisis situation that we are in. I will use several key case studies that will represent larger uh, descriptive statistical information for what I'm going to speak of. But when I was in New York, and what continues to happen today is that many of them are not dying from COVID. Now, many people don't know about me is that I'm actually a master's prepared biochemist and I have worked extensively with the HIV uh, virus tracking uh, genetic mutations. So I feel very comfortable going toe to toe with some of these doctors here, although I am not a doctor, I'm just a nurse. But what we saw on these front lines, we knew what was happening. And when we asked for the ibuprofen, they said, no, it was contraindicated. When we asked, like, why aren't we giving them steroids? Oh, well, it's not. We're just following orders. Following orders has led to the sheer number of deaths that has occurred in these hospitals. I didn't see a single patient die of COVID. I've seen a substantial number of patients die of negligence and medical malfeasance. Um, when I was on the front lines of New York, I'm unfortunately known uh, globally viral as the nurse that was in the break room sobbing, saying that they were murdering my patients. The pharmaceutical companies had gone into those hospitals and decided to um, practice, I guess you can say, on, on the minorities, on the disadvantaged, on the marginalized populations that we know that we had no advocates for because the very agencies that should have been protecting them were closed because we were sheltering in place. 
Now, while I was there and I saw that the pharmaceutical companies were rolling out remdesivir onto the patients, I tried to get a hold of the IRBs. I tried to get a hold of my appropriate chain of command. I tried CMS. I tried Department of Health. And they rolled out remdesivir onto a substantial number of patients for which we all saw it was killing the patients. And now it's the FDA-approved drug that is continuing to kill patients in the United States. As nurses, we've collected a statistical or descriptive amount of information that you may not get from the doctors because for more, they do quantitative data. We do qualitative data with a humanistic, phenomenological approach in nursing research. And so we've collected the data from all of these patients across the country from which we have been helping patients because I formed the organization American Frontline Nurses and the Advocacy Network so nurses could advocate for these patients. And all of this data pool shows that as these patients get remdesivir, they have a less than 25% chance of survival if they get more than two doses. Now they're rolling it out on children as well and into the nursing homes or skilled nursing facilities as early intervention when as Dr. Pierre Corey and Dr. Merrick have already demonstrated that there are cost-effective medications out there and we are going to see the amplification of death across our country. And we haven't even touched on the vaccines for which all of our expert panels have already very well describe that situation, so I won't touch on that since many of them are by far superior to me than, than even I could ever hope to be. But I can tell you that two days ago, I, f I flew out my first 10-year-old with a heart attack, and I had to fight the doctor in the ER because he's like, 10-year-olds don't have heart attacks. And I argued back and forth for 30 minutes to force his hand to get an EKG to find out that he was had almost a complete STEMI, which is ST-elevated myocardial infarction, for which you could see it lit up on the 12-lead EKG. And he's like, well, that's not possible. And I'm like, well, he was just vaccinated yesterday. It is very much possible. At any given time, people are getting a hold of me and the nurse advocates at American Frontline Nurses to help advocate, because as you've seen, there is victim shaming that, it does, oh, it's anxiety, oh, it's this. But in actuality, if they put down that it was a vaccine injury, the physician, the corporation, the hospital, the clinic, they actually won't get reimbursed. So it gets labeled as anxiety or neuropathy or Guillain-Barre syndrome, when in actuality, it's very realistically a vaccine injury. Now, I'm not, uh, even though I founded American Frontline Nurses, I've traveled extensively to South America, India, and South Africa, working in hot zones, stopping the spread of the virus, and working with early intervention. And nowhere in those countries, in developing nations, do I see these issues that we see here in the United States. It's actually, I'm a very proud American citizen. I come from a family of immigrants, and my mother told me that the United States is the, the best country in the world, though granted I am biased being an American. And our level of healthcare has been deteriorated to substandard third world nation healthcare. Whereas I tell people you are better off in South America in a field hospital than you are in level one trauma designer hospitals in the United States. As nurses, we are getting reports across the country from our American frontline nurses about patients not getting food, patients not getting water, how come a patient hasn't been fed in nine days? Why do I need to get a court order to force a hospital to feed a person who isn't intubated and who's literally telling you they would like food? Oh, well, you can't take your BiPAP mask off. Well, that's what us nurses are for. We're going to help you take that off and we're going to help you eat, but we're not allowed to. If you know if they're on a ventilator, they're not getting basic standards of care. 
I've had patients that haven't been bathed, haven't been fed, haven't been given water, haven't been turned. And if you ask me, this isn't a hospital, this is a concentration camp. That's right. Absolutely it is. <laughs> Nowhere in the United States do we isolate people for hundreds of hours at a time with no human contact. It's not even allowed in the prisons. You are not allowed to isolate a prisoner for beyond a certain extensive amount of time because it is, again, it is horrible for their mental health and is considered inhumane. However, in these hospitals now, we're allowed to isolate patients from their families for days and you have to say goodbye to them over an iPhone as Jennifer Bridges has just demonstrated to us or she has to shuttle people in to see. And personally, I was fired for sneaking a Hispanic family in to say the last rites to their family. And so thank you, Senator Johnson, for giving nurses the opportunity to come and represent our patients. Because as you can see, we're not often thought of as uh, leading professionals, though we are the missing link between the doctors and the patients. So thank you so much for this time. Okay. Thank you for being a nurse. Senator Johnson just nailed it on the head, summed it all up. After that testimony from nurse Nicole Saratik, thank you for being a nurse. Those are the frontline workers. And everybody will say, well, doctors, doctors. Yeah, they, they're doctors or I guess basically in an operating room, they're the gods in that room. And I'm saying that not literally, but they're the ones that are in charge. But the ones... The people in these healthcare institutions that deal directly with people 24-7 are the nurses. These are the people that see and understand and know. These are the people that implement the orders of the guys who run the place, the doctors. So they're meeting the patients face-to-face when many of these others don't, except on rare occasions, like in an OR. Folks, there's a lot of things that are being done and being represented to us as they're being done as science, as medicine, as truthful, that really aren't. And I don't want to diminish the disease in any way. I'll never do that because it is a real disease. But as she said, is COVID killing us? Is COVID killing these people? Or is the treatment they're getting in the hospital? And the things they do. She said at the very beginning, she she was one of those nurses that went to New York City in the very beginning where it just really hit the nation so quickly and so hard and people were just flooding hospital emergency rooms. We really didn't know what was going on. You remember the panacea that they came up with was, you're going to have problems breathing with COVID-19. It attacks your lungs. And we found out during the course of treating such people that the principal thing it does, massive, um, your lungs fill up. They can't oxygenate your blood. Inflammation just runs rampant. And so people were having a problem breathing, getting oxygen. What's the fix for that? The universal fix is put them on a ventilator. Ventilators will help you get that oxygen into your blood. Here was the problem. What ventilators do, you set the speed and the intensity of the oxygen air mix that they push through our lungs if we're ventilated. 
And the problem with ventilators at that particular point, we found out after a bunch of people died, the problem was the ventilators were pushing blood that came from the heart through the lungs where they normally get oxygen. All the oxygen our body gets comes through our blood that comes through our lungs. And then it's pumped out to all parts of our body. The ventilators were pushing the blood through our lungs too hard, too fast, and people were dying because they weren't getting enough oxygen. Now think about that. Put that in the context of everything to do with COVID. Put that in the context of what we've been told to do and not to do from the very beginning, two years now, by Dr. Anthony Fauci and other experts. And much of what they told us killed a bunch of those 900,000 Americans that have been reported to die. And as we said before we listened to the nurse, they tell us 900,000 people have died from COVID. But the truth is, 900,000 people have died, many or most of them, with COVID, not because of COVID, but something else that was deemed and reported to be COVID. And that's factual. And every day we're finding out more and more how factual it is. Now, let me throw another little conundrum in this conversation for you. Over the weekend, the Department of Health and Human Services officially stopped requiring any hospital to report coronavirus deaths. That's right, DHS, Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. They officially stopped requiring hospitals to report COVID deaths. Initially, that was established in January. The rule change didn't go into effect until last week, Wednesday. That was the same day the United Kingdom government announced it's stopping their requirement for hospitals to report coronavirus death tolls. Now, what's going on with that? Does that make any sense to you? It doesn't to me. One federal health official called the change incomprehensible saying that reporting COVID death tolls to the federal government is the most reliable metric. It is the only consistent, reliable, and actionable data set at the federal level, this official said. 99% of hospitals report 100% of the data every day. So going forward, how's this going to work? Well, the federal government will get coronavirus death toll numbers from the CDC. Centers for Disease Control, which collects the data on a state-by-state level from coroner and medical examiner reports. Now, before we get into the what's going on there thing, let me finish this. Going forward, they're going to get it state-by-state from these MEs. Deaths are reported by the counties and states, but the process is very slow, and many coroners are actually not wanting to cite COVID as the reason while hospitals rely on diagnoses. The same official said that. It's also timely as it every day in many states have a delay anyway, but now many are reporting less often. The CDC has never really counted cases for things that a lot of people get, you know, like the flu. They get data from some other sites and then extrapolate what is going on. Alexis Madrigal, 
a co-founder of the COVID Tracking Project, said that Health and Human Services has so far provided the best and most granular publicly available data on the pandemic. There was no hospital data at the federal level and even at many states, he said. We had no idea who has capacity, who was in trouble, who had supply shortages, who was getting admissions so fast they would need supplemental medications, who has staffing issues, etc. We also didn't know anything about the people admitted in a timely manner, like their ages. American Hospital Association Vice President Nancy Foster says things differently. She said the CDC provides more accurate information by including coronavirus deaths outside of the hospital setting. She said while it is likely that most people who die of COVID do so in a hospital, some die at home in a nursing home or elsewhere. We believe CDC looked at the conflicting sources of data on COVID deaths, chose the one that was most accurate, and moved to reduce the burden on hospitals to collect data that were less complete and, to the best of our knowledge, not being used. Now, you just heard what she said. Let me tell you what the facts say. The CDC says it's different from what they are claiming. What are you talking about, Dan? Well, let's just look for a second at the VAERS report published today. How about that? And this report goes from January 1 last year through January 28th, a week ago, last Friday. And it doesn't give us necessarily the deaths across the nation from COVID-19, but gives us the death count, the official numbers that are turned into the CDC, and they report those to us, the numbers of not just deaths, but adverse reactions to humans from the coronavirus vaccines. Not COVID, the vaccines. Now, I'll, I'll give you the top-line numbers, and then I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm really into here. They say that 23,149 Americans have died from the vaccines. 23,000. How does that compare with history? Well, let me just tell you, it's 20 times more, 20 times more, 23,149, is 20 times more than the reported numbers of Americans who have died from all the vaccines, all of those that, you know, we got as kids, polio, the mumps, all of those things rolled in. 23,149 is 20 times the total number of deaths from other vaccines since 1992. 20 times more have died in one year than did in 30 years from all the other vaccines. Additional hospitalizations, 124,000. Urgent care calls, 116,000. Doctor office visits, 169,000. Bell's palsy, 13,000. 4,000 miscarriages, 12,000 heart attacks. 41,163 Americans are permanently disabled from coronavirus vaccines. Now let me tell you where I'm going with this. That number, the number in each one of those categories, especially 23,149 deaths. The CDC tells us the real number 
is not. They know factually it isn't 23,149. It's going to be off. You know, the same people that they tell us now, they're going to get the actual numbers and report to us the Americans that die from COVID-19 every week. It's the same sources that they are telling us that in the history of the VAERS numbers, the VAERS numbers that the CDC gets from these same medical examiners and coroners every week is anywhere from 10 times too low to 40 times low. So what does that mean in real numbers? The 23,149 quote-unquote official deaths could be 40 times that. Now we'll round it off. What is that number? Approximately 800,000. That's the high side. I understand that. But they are telling us as a disclaimer, it could be as high as that. Now put that in the context of what else they're telling us. 900,000 people have died from COVID-19. You know, those lines are pretty close together. You know, 800,000 from the reactions to the COVID vaccines and 900,000, they say, total have died from the vaccines. The big conundrum in all of that, folks, is this. Somebody out there knows, but they're not telling us. Somebody out there, one of those people that follow the science that are part of the science that they're saying we need to follow. They know the truth. One question you need to ask and get your own answers is why. Why are they not giving us the facts when you know darn sure they have the facts? We may not be able to lower the cost of gas, but we can do something about how many miles you will drive per gallon. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store today and let us help you increase the performance of your car or truck. Simple things like replacing your air filter, changing worn-out spark plugs, and using fuel injector cleaner can add up to better fuel economy and big savings. There's an O'Reilly Auto Parts store close to you that has the name brands, low prices, and people who can help. Restore lost fuel economy and eliminate rough idle with Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts by two and get one free. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner quickly cleans clogged injectors to increase fuel efficiency and help your vehicle run smooth. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner, buy two, get one free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply. See store for details. Dinner, dinner, dinner. Every day you have to think of what's for dinner. Well, now Subway has a solution that is sure to please every person you have to feed for that last meal of the day. It's called Dinner Tonight. Every day after 4 p.m., Subway is offering a Dinner Tonight special, which includes two regular 6-inch subs, two bags of chips, and two 21-ounce fountain drinks, all for just $11.99. This offer is available all day long on Sundays. Subway of Kodiak. Eat fresh. Drinking water is essential to your health. That's why you need to drink plenty of water to keep you hydrated throughout the day. Unlike power drinks or soft drinks, water is truly the only drink that can quench your thirst. 
It's an easy, refreshing way to keep your body healthy and strong. Freshen up today with a brisk, cool bottle of water. Before I forget about it, I want to remind you, if uh, you joined us late, you missed the first part of the show, or you miss all of the show on any day, you never have to miss any of TNN Live. A bunch of different ways to get them after the show is completed live. One, you can always go to our website, truthnewsnet.org, and pick the story, the headline story of that day. Click on it, go all the way down to the bottom of the front page of the story. And at the bottom, you'll see a link to that day's TNN Live show. You can click on it, listen to it there. You can download it. doesn't cost you anything. How else can you get it? Well, if you're a fan of podcasts, and a lot of people are, a lot of reasoning for that is that you you don't have time to listen to a two-hour show every day, but you don't want to miss anything important, so you want to go back and grab it. Apple Podcast, Spotify Podcast, uh, let's see, Google Podcast, also iHeartRadio Podcast, uh, TuneIn Podcast, and I missed one other one. But every place where you get your podcast from, pretty much Stitcher's the one I missed, you can go to those sources and just type in the search bar, TNN Live, which is the name of our show. A catalog index of our show front page will pop up, and you can save it there, and therefore you'll get notices when new shows pop up there every day, Monday through Friday. And you can just listen to the show just like you're listening to us live. We just don't want you to miss anything. And I got to be honest with you, the numbers of downloads by our friends and family members around the nation, and not just the nation, around the globe, just continue to go up, 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 and up. More people are hearing about Truth News Network. More people are listening to Truth News Network show, TNN Live. And more and more people are reading our stories. It's interesting, over the weekend, you know, normally we take Sunday off, unless there's something critical in the news that we want to make sure you get. The last, I guess, two months, the Sundays in which we don't publish a story, we have more people going on our website than on other days. Why is that? You guys are busy. you got a lot going on in your life, a lot of really important things that you've got to take care of or that you want to take care of, but at the same time, you you don't want to miss anything. So you catch up on the weekend. You catch up on Sunday. However, whenever it's convenient for you, Don't miss anything. The stories that we publish there are critically important. In fact, one that is published today, Dr. Robert McCullough, who is frequently here at TNN Live, he penned the story today, and it is full of nuggets of fact, more and more factual information on everything to do with COVID-19 is coming out every day around the world. And you know what's saddest of all that, I'm finding out as this information comes out over and over and over. We're the last. It seems like the United States is the last to get the answers to these critical questions that we're all asking. And there's only one explanation for our being last or being down at the bottom, maybe not last, but way not, way, way away from the top like we usually are when it comes to medicine. For political reasons. Political reasons. 
And one of the big props that our politicians have used to test us just to see how much of our freedoms and independence we're willing to give up in the name of a pandemic are those masks. And one hardcore leftist Democrat has decided to make that her marching orders going forward. The mask. Stacey Abrams, a former member of the Georgia State government, the legislature. She ran for governor and lost, but now she's become a self-appointed and, and a, a Democrat endowed with power to represent the far left on a bunch of different things. Voter fraud, I don't think I don't think they will call anything about voting fraud, but voter integrity. She's kind of a spokesperson for that, but also she's getting into it prompting and teaching, going and speaking to kids in school about wearing masks. But she did a thing over the weekend that she got busted in. She was caught not wearing a mask during a visit Friday to Glenwood Elementary School in Decatur, Georgia. It's just north, about seven miles northeast of downtown Atlanta. A picture that went viral shows Abram sitting in front of a classroom. It's filled with 41 students teachers and kids, all wearing masks, every one of them wearing a mask, but Stacey Abrams, the gubernatorial candidate, she's sitting up front, she doesn't have a mask on. Well, you know, she's she's a public figure and she wants to make sure whoever's taking the picture and puts it out there, they know it's her. Well, there's a little problem with that. There's a school-wide mask mandate in the state. So incumbent Republican Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, when he saw this going on, he uh, he had to come out and address it. He said, Stacey Abrams wants our state government mask mandates and their children, but it looks like they wouldn't apply when she's attending a photo opportunity. One of former President Donald Trump's senior advisors also expressed some dissatisfaction in so many ways, Stephen Miller said. This picture embodies the elitism, the arrogance, the cruelty, the science denial, and glib authoritarianism of Joe Biden's Democrat Party. Political commentator Clay Travis, he expressed broader concerns about the rising number of left-leaning leaders who are not complying with their own mandates. I mean, governors around the nation are getting busted all the time. And of course, every time they cheat, even on their own mandates, it's front and center in the news nationwide. The number of left-wing politicians, Travis said, who post photos posing without masks while all the kids around them are wearing masks is stunning. Here is Stacey Abrams, Travis tweeted, doing it. This is child abuse. School principal Holly Brookins posted the original picture on February 6th The picture had already been removed at the time of publication and Brookins' Twitter account was inactive. But it did not stop other social media users from reposting the picture themselves to keep expressing their outrage. And Abrams, Stacey Abrams, she didn't even apologize. She claimed she was disappointed to see so many people divert attention away from the good work of African Americans around the nation. 
What the heck does that have to do with you teaching kids? You got to wear a mask. Keeps you safe. Keeps everybody else safe. And when a picture time comes up, she doesn't even, she's sitting there. She doesn't even have a mask in her hand. You can't see one. I doubt very seriously if she wore one in her speech or talked to those kids. She said this, it's shameful that our political opponents are using a Black History Month reading event for Georgia children as the impetus for a false political attack. And it is pitiful and predictable that our opponents continue to look for opportunities to distract from their failed records when it comes to protecting public health during the pandemic. This pathetic, transparent, and silly attack is beneath anyone who claims he or she wants to lead Georgia, they said. Now, what does it all boil down to? I mean, they can defend all they want to. Folks, Americans are not stupid. We know what we're being told, what we've been told for two years, over and over and over. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you can't, you can't, you can't. We're finding out that it wasn't true, and it still isn't true. I'll say this one more time. 47 laboratory-controlled, across-the-globe testings of every type of mask, medical mask there is. 47 different ones. Independent laboratories. No, no politics involved in it. We're talking about real laboratory scientists and doctors. Of all 47, they tested everything from the top to the bottom. There is only one mask in production that it doesn't say it will. The reports say it can possibly protect us from COVID-19 virus infection. And that's an N95. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Joe Biden's sending an N95 mask around. Yeah, they are. My wife walked into our house the other day with three in her hand that were given to her at Walmart. Here's the problem. Only one type of N95, the laboratory tests say, is effective. That's one that is enclosed around the person's face, and the person is breathing oxygen, not around the edges of the mask, but getting oxygen pumped into that mask. What does that mean, Dan? That means you're not going to, there's no face mask that'll stop it. You can't afford that. You can't get it. And in the settings in which 99 and 9 tenths percent of us live in, you have no access to that. Masks don't work. And these people, like Stacey Abram, they know they don't work. But it's a symbol. It's a symbol of a lot of things and not very good things. It's a symbol of authoritarianism in our government, our leaders, a handful of leaders. Oh, there are a lot more than a handful that are up there leading the nation, but they're really not leaders They're sheeple just like you and me. We do as we're told. When the experts tell us you got to do this, especially the ones that make and enforce the laws and the regulations, and they have the power to punish us if we don't do what they tell us to do. Yeah, you know, people like Stalin and Hitler and Mao Zedong in China that killed half his nation, exterminated millions of Chinese people. There's no difference in what this president and his minions are doing and trying to do around the nation. And it's not, it's not folks. 
based on science. They use the fact. They tell us that it's based on the science, and the science doesn't align with what they're telling us. That's amazing, isn't it? We've got a lot of things to talk about. As you know, the president was in New York City. He went to New York City from um, Washington, D.C., and he went there, we were told, specifically to address the crime problem that is just out of hand in New York City, not just there, but in every other big city around the nation, especially the big cities that are run by Democrats. The mayors and much of the city councils in these cities are Democrats, and they're into less law enforcement, stripping law enforcement's power down. And who who is out there that really likes that? Well, it's people that are committing crimes. They see a scenario where, well, they're going to go soft on crime. They're not going to they're not going to push to get rid of illegal gun ownership. They're not going to take e- illegal guns off the street. They're probably going to take the legal guns off the street, which means it's a green light for us because we're not going to get any pushback. When we used to break into people's houses, we were scared because there were a lot of people we knew had guns. And now they're beginning to take the guns away from those legal people. You know, the ones that register, buy their guns legally, do the FBI background checks, which you got to do, the gun scores got to do, so you can even buy a gun. No, those people, they're not going to have guns anymore. And so we can just do whatever we want to do, and there's nothing they're going to do. And that's why across the nation, that's the big reason why gun crimes have gone exponentially up the ladder. Chicago, city of Chicago is the epicenter for gun crime. Every weekend, at least 22 people were shot. Three of them died during the weekend. Mary Laurie Lightfoot, Chicago. Yeah, she's running it. Ooh, she's running it. Great results for the people that live in Chicago regarding gun crime. Chicago Sun-Times reports the first of three fatal shootings occurred Saturday afternoon about 4.30. A man was shot and killed. He was just a passenger in a vehicle. A 22-year-old man was shot multiple times in the first block of South Sealy Avenue about 2.50 Sunday morning. He was taken to the hospital, pronounced dead. The third fatal shooting of the weekend, 4.50 a.m. Sunday, when a 44-year-old man was found shot to death in the first block of East 24th Street. Twelve people were shot. Three of them died. On Tuesday alone. (laughs) It's crazy, folks. At least 17 people shot during the weekend of January 28th to the 30th, and three of those shooting victims died of their wounds. All it has become is a news story. Yeah, you know... The weather says it's going to be cold here. It's going to be 22 degrees tonight. Won't be any snow until maybe tomorrow. And by the way, 22 people were shot, three of them fatally over the weekend. Let's get on to the stock report. It's been normalized. It's been normalized. It's crazy, folks. It's absolutely crazy. Somebody sent me something that I want to, I want to read to you. It's about guns and gun control. The title of it is Grandpa Carries a Gun. 
the quintessential reason why Grandpa carries a gun. Please take time to listen to this. Why carry a gun? Let's, let's get you some answers. My old grandpa said to me, Son, there comes a time in every man's life when he stops busting knuckles and starts busting caps. And usually, it's when he becomes too old to take a whooping. I don't carry a gun to kill people. I carry a gun to keep from being killed. I don't carry a gun because I'm evil. I carry a gun because I have lived long enough to see the evil in the world. I don't carry a gun because I hate the government. I carry a gun because I understand the limitations of government. I don't carry a gun because I'm mad. I carry a gun so that I don't have to spend the rest of my life hating myself for failing to be prepared. I don't carry a gun because I want to shoot somebody. I carry a gun because I I don't want to die at a ripe old age in my bed and not on a sidewalk somewhere tomorrow afternoon. I don't carry a gun to make me feel like a man. I carry a gun because men know how to take care of themselves and the ones they love. I don't carry a gun because I feel inadequate. I carry a gun because unarmed and facing three-armed thugs, I am inadequate. I don't carry a gun because I love it. I carry a gun because I love life and the people who make it meaningful to me. Police protection? Well, that's an oxymoron. Free citizens must protect themselves because police do not protect you from crime. They just investigate the crime after it happens. And then they call someone in to clean up the mess. Grandpa said, I carry a gun because I'm too young to die and too old to take a whooping. And folks, when we get called into these conversations about guns, guns kill, guns kill, people die every day, guns, 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 guns. How about a little history? Let me give you some facts. In 1929, the Soviet Union, they established gun control. From 1929 to 1953, 20 million dissidents in the Soviet Union, unable to defend themselves, were rounded up and exterminated. In 1911, Turkey, the nation, established gun control. From 1915 to 1917, a million and a half Armenians, unable to defend themselves, were rounded up and exterminated. Germany, they established gun control in 1938. From 1939 to 1945, a total of 13 million Jews and others who were unable to defend themselves were rounded up and exterminated. China, they established their gun control in 1935. From 1948 to 1952, 20 million political dissidents, they were unable to defend themselves. 20 million were rounded up and exterminated. Guatemala established gun control in 1964. From 64 to 1981, 100,000 Mayan Indians unable to defend themselves in Guatemala were rounded up and exterminated. 
Uganda established gun control in 1970. From 71 to 79, 300,000 Ugandan Christians who were unable to defend themselves were rounded up and exterminated. Cambodia established gun control in 1956. From 1975 to 77, one million educated people in Cambodia, unable to defend themselves, were rounded up and exterminated. 56 million defenseless people were rounded up and exterminated in the 20th century directly because of gun control. Now, you don't see these numbers on the U.S. Evening News shows or hear politicians passing this information out among the the public. Guns in the hands of honest citizens save lives and save property too, yes. Gun control laws adversely affect only the law-abiding citizens. Gun control adversely affects only law-abiding citizens. With guns, folks, we are citizens. Without guns, we're subjects. During World War II, the Japanese decided not to invade America. You know why? They made it public. They knew that most Americans were armed. Gun owners here in the USA are the largest armed force in the world. We don't even know for sure how many guns Americans own legally, but it's a bunch. The purpose of fighting, anytime you fight, folks, is to win. There's no possible victory in defense. Wow. Facts, folks. Sometimes unpleasant. Sometimes things we don't want to hear. But those are numbers, real numbers, folks. And all of those nations, all of this didn't just happen overnight where somebody in the government says, hey, we're going to take you outside tonight and kill you. It happened over time. And it every time happened. At the end of the process of seizing guns by the government. Those nations, it's not government of, by, and for the people. It's government by the government. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Dunkin' is putting a whole new spin on pumpkin at Dunkin' with our new pumpkin cream cold brew. Smooth, bold, cold brew topped with velvety pumpkin cream cold foam made with cinnamon and nutmeg spices. And there's more pumpkin for you to love, like the delicious fall classic, our pumpkin spice signature latte. Rich espresso topped with whipped cream, caramel drizzle, and cinnamon sugar. That's how we pumpkin at Dunkin'. Sip into the fall season with the new pumpkin cream cold brew or pumpkin spice signature latte. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And my computer career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. Are you sure we should be out here? It's pretty cloudy. Come on, that'll pass. Really? I don't know. Yeah, That's just, just swing. I'm holding swing. a... Swing! <sighs> ah! 
Rob. Whoa, looks like someone could have used Yahoo OneSearch on his mobile phone. Try Yahoo OneSearch and get news, sports, even weather. Get better results. Text weather and your zip code to 92466. Be a better golfer. Yahoo! Standard carrier text messaging rates apply. New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry, dragon fruit, and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for a contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. You're standing against the tide of creeping insanity. One truth at a time. TNN. The Truth News Network. Creeping insanity. I like that term. Well, as you know, we have to come up with somebody to serve on the United States Supreme Court because Justice Stephen Breyer, he's officially retired now, and President Biden is out there telling everybody what he's going to do. And a lot of people are listening. A lot of average Americans are listening and watching how he responds to this whole thing. And it's not feeling very comfortable to a lot of people. We get a creepy feeling about it. Yesterday... On a television network broadcast, Senator Ted Cruz criticized the president for his pledge to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court to fill that vacancy. Cruz insisted Biden wants a left-wing ideologue and is willing to discriminate to make that selection. Now, how could he be discriminating? I mean, after all, you know, we've only got, oh, we don't have an African-American woman on the Supreme Court. There's never been one. So how could any president be racist that chooses to nominate and appoint and send up for confirmation hearings an African-American justice, right? Well, let me say at the outset, Senator Cruz said, the fact that he's chosen to put out this racial quota, it's wrong. It's wrong to discriminate based on race, period. If you are, I tried to do what Joe Biden has done. If your show put up an ad in the paper that your morning show is looking for a producer and only black women are eligible to apply, or for that matter, you put up the ad that says only white men are eligible to apply, or you put up an ad that said only Native American women are eligible to apply, any and every one of those ads is against federal law. They would violate the federal civil rights law, and you or I would face personal liability for doing it. And yet, Joe Biden, those laws don't technically apply to the president in this appointment, but he is certainly violating the spirit of non-discrimination. If he wanted to look for qualified applicants and find whoever he thought was the most qualified nominee, and she happened to be African-American, that's wonderful, Cruz continued. But he's not doing that. He wants to discriminate based on race. And Cruz said it's also worth noting there's some irony to this because Joe Biden broke a threshold because Joe Biden not once but twice has actually filibustered a black woman to try to stop her from becoming a federal judge. Did you know that, folks? We have history where Joe Biden, he fought, filibustered to stop the appointment of an African-American woman to a federal court and to a Supreme Court spot. You don't believe it? Well, 
We tell you all the time, anything you do, anything you say, got to remember it's going to show up later. So let's go back a few years, all the way back to 2005. What was going on in 2005? Well, Joe Biden was a United States senator from Delaware, and he was also on the Senate Judiciary Committee where all point, uh, all appointed, all nominated people have to go, if it's for a federal judgeship of any kind, to be vetted and, of course, either turned down or confirmed by the Senate to serve in that capacity. Listen to this very closely. This is Joe Biden, Senator Biden, in 2005, talking about this very thing that Ted Cruz referenced. It depends on who the president sends, but I could see a circumstance. Mm -hmm. For example, if he set up Edith Jones, I can assure you that would be a very, very, very difficult fight, and she probably would be filibustered. What about Janice Rogers Brown, someone else? By the way, I misspoke. I misspoke. Janice Rogers Brown is what I meant to say. I misspoke. Thank you for But wasn't she just just confirmed, though? How do you invoke the extraordinary circumstances clause of the agreement of the Gang of 14 for somebody who's just been confirmed? Because a circuit court of a judge is bound by stare decisis. They don't get to make new law. They have to abide by the, for example, she So, so what you're saying is the Supreme a, Court's different than different the Different ballgame. Right. Okay. Totally different ballgame. Two things there. <laughs> his own words. He's hanging himself as he does all the time with his own words. He's talking about federal Judge Brown. If she came up, He would have a hard time, and he predicted he would have to filibuster her. He didn't talk about the reason why. That's number one. That is as racist as you can possibly be because, quite honestly, Justice Brown is very well qualified, and she is African-American. But Joe Biden, you know, Mr. I don't see people with color. I don't look at people and say, oh, they're black. That's a black man, a black woman, or that's a white man, a white woman. I don't say that I'm colorblind. Of course he said that. And of course he says that. He's picking, or he told us he was going to pick or appoint an African-American woman, only an African-American woman, to sit on the Supreme Court replacing Justice Stephen Breyer. That's number one in what he said. But did you catch the last part of what he said? I think probably the last part is worse than the first part of what he said. Let me go back and let you listen just to the end of that so you can pick it up. Because a circuit court of a judge is bound by stare decisis. They don't get to make new law. They have to abide by the, for example, she <laughs> So, So what you're saying is the Supreme a, Court's different than different the appellate. Different ballgame. Right, okay. Totally different ballgame. What he said was, folks, a circuit judge, they're bound by existing law. They can't make any law. They're bound by the laws that come before them to interpret. But the Supreme Court is totally different. Did you get that? He's actually saying, and those that are out there that lobby for activist justices, activists means they don't are, if they are activists, they're not, they're not going to be bound by the law that they are looking to adjudicate when a case comes before them on the U.S. Supreme Court. They can make it apply to whatever their opinion of the day says that was meant when those laws were crafted. You get the difference? 
You get the difference? Our forefathers, when they drafted the Constitution and they put it into place, they knew this would happen. And of course, that's what federal courts are supposed to do, interpret the law. That's it. Not change any laws, not make any um, opinions known that aren't verifiable in the actual laws themselves. But this group of far leftists, they want to come out and say, oh, no, 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 the Constitution is living, breathing. It changes. It changes the meaning. Our forefathers had no idea that there was going to be coronavirus in 2020. And so what does that mean? That means that they knew we were going to change the laws. Well, they're actually correct when they say that. But they're wrong in thinking and saying and wanting the courts to make those changes in constitutional provisions. Our forefathers were smart enough. They put provisions in the Constitution so that laws could be changed. But see what these far leftists want to do. They want to have the ability, not through the people, but through appointed judges, change laws. That makes it pretty easy. Now, our forefathers didn't want changing the Constitution to be so easy that it would be something that would happen every day. They wanted it, and they made it and structured it to be difficult. There's amendment process. We have 26 times we legally have amended the United States Constitution. How did that happen? A combination of the United States Congress and the people in the 50 states. Everybody has to sign off at a two-thirds majority rate to change, to amend the Constitution. Joe Biden doesn't live in that camp. The camp he lives in is we, the United States Senate, the United States Congress. We know what our forefathers meant. And therefore, we're going to determine and we're going to make the changes. How about that? That's the world in which we live. That's how they want us to live every day. Change anything. Change everything. Just let us do it because we know what's best for you. We know what's best for you. I'll give you another example. You heard earlier we talked for a minute about our president going to New York City. He made some very, very uh, eyebrow-raising comments in his get-together with the leaders in New York City about crime. And one council member from New York, her name is Velasquez, at the end of all of that, she really made a big deal out of it. And she got on a microphone and she began to thank everybody in the New York state government, the legislature, where all the laws are made because they were doing things, policies and laws that President Biden wanted to do and were all working hand in hand on gun control. Here's Velasquez. Listen to this little short uh, exhortation by the member of the New York City Council. To my New York congressional delegation, I want to recognize the incredible role that we have played in working together with this administration to make sure that we secure the resources, not only to deal with gun violence in our country, but to tackle the issue of the pandemic, uh, to provide relief assistance 
to small businesses in our country, and I am proud that we have been able to get this economy growing again, that because of the commitment and vision of President Biden. Since the start of the pandemic, gun violence in our city has surged to levels not seen in a decade. Shootings are up by 166% here in New York City. Across the U.S., over 20,000 people were killed by gun violence last year. Black and brown communities. We are victims of gun violence. It takes us also because we are on the ground. We know what works and what doesn't work. We got the expertise and we need to use all those grassroots community organizations who understand the dynamics that play into gun violence in our country. Oh my gosh, what a great speech. Of course, what she referenced there was what the left use as their whole process and what's going to work. It's nothing different than what they've been using and doing. Number one is demean police, demean the cops, call to question the veracity of every member serving in law enforcement across the nation. Everything they do, you got to question it. You got to question their motives. Oh, they're most of them are these white supremacists. They don't like people of color. They want to prove that they're powerful and they can do whatever they want to, which that is truthful in a fraction. I mean, less than one-tenth of one percent of law enforcement members around the nation subscribe to that thinking. And i got to be honest with you, if you look at the rest of the world, look at the United States, everybody else here, that number probably applies across the whole population. But where they miss it is this. No criminal, no criminal is going to stupidly or very few of criminals will very stupidly step out and go after somebody knowing that there's going to be some accountability for them that goes along with the actions that they take. When there's no accountability, there's no pushback. There's no reason for them not to do what they want to do, the illegality and criminal acts that they're setting out to do, everything from, I don't know, breaking into a car, stealing a car, breaking into your house, breaking into your business, shooting you, raping your daughters. If there's no accountability for that, what is there to stop them? Are we supposed to just assume that everybody, just because they're Americans, they're here, that they're good people, And anything and everything they do is going to be okay. We could spend the the entire show of every two-hour show in a week talking about nothing but that. And we would just barely touch the surface. There is so much lawlessness going on in this nation like there never has been. I mean, at every level, every state. Now, the numbers are down significantly if you compare the big cities across the nation that are in states that are governed by conservatives, in cities that are governed by conservatives. And the flip side of that is true where it's Democrats. And I I wonder why that is. 
Why didn't somebody just sit down and be objective and look across the nation? Councilman Velasquez, she wasn't doing that. She was actually painting a picture that, hey, the way this administration is doing it, the way they've done it, oh, we're tackling the problem. Folks, crime is still on the rise. (laughs) I mean, look down south. Forget about the cities. Look what's happening at the southern border. There is no law protection, law enforcement down there. And we have dozens and dozens of federal immigration laws that, This president, every president, every member of the United States House of Representatives, every member of the Senate, all pledged oaths to protect and defend the United States of America, which is all everybody wants to say, oh, it's just an idea. It's just a plan, the United States of America. No, it's not. It has borders. It's a plan that is implemented in the hearts and lives of everybody that lives legally within those borders. But for all of those that don't do it the right way, that don't do it the legal way, they're supposed to be held accountable according to the United States Constitution. And for those leaders that choose to not hold them accountable, not uphold the rule of law, not adhere to their oaths of office that they took, those people must be held accountable all the way up the ladder, all the way up to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Now, Representative Lance Gooden, a Texas Republican whose district is overrun by this surge in illegal immigration, Representative Lance Gooden says the border insecurity that Joe Biden unleashed isn't just impacting border states now. It's spreading across the interior of the country. And with it comes a big temptation for members of Congress. What is that? To stop the lawlessness. To stop the government from not only allowing the lawlessness to happen, but actually supporting it and creating ways for the criminals to just keep on keeping on. How can they stop that? How can the American people stop that? According to Representative Gooden, more and more people in Congress want to impeach and remove President Biden from office if the Republican Party gains control of Congress this fall. He said, I really believe that impeachment could be on the table. This is Representative Gooden, and I would support it completely. He's been investigating how the Biden administration and other nonprofits have been funding this mass effort to move illegals from the southern border all across the interior of the country, uncovering travel packages that assist these illegals and a weakening of identity security provisions so these migrants can even use, listen to this, they're now being, the feds will let these migrants use their arrest warrants. Don't have a picture ID, no problem. Now the Biden TCA, when you get to the airport and you get to the check-in where you got to go check-in, those folks don't even need a picture ID. They can hand them the arrest warrants for them. And the feds are looking at that as an acceptable form of ID to board American planes. 
Representative Gooden, like all but a handful of Republicans, opposed the Democrats' two failed impeachment efforts against former President Trump. Gooden says while those actions lowered the bar for impeachment, Biden's record of mismanagement qualifies him for removal under even a tougher standard. The bar was so low to impeach President Trump, he said, and even if the bar were raised exponentially, I believe that President Biden has met the requirement to be impeached. What we're seeing at the border is not just criminal, it's immoral. The fact that our U.S. government is putting its own citizens behind those of other nations and also encouraging human trafficking and drug trafficking, and what we're seeing is they're filling the bank accounts and the cash stashes of the cartels. It's a travesty. Representative Gooden said it's not what this country should be about. Now, Cruz, Senator Cruz, also from Texas, he was the first to suggest a Biden impeachment. He said, Cruz did a month ago, it was possible. When he said it, he was panned by the media. And Senate GOP leader Mitch McConnell said it wouldn't happen. But since then, a growing chorus of Republicans are arguing for it. And even leaders like Representative Elise Stefanik of New York, who's the number three Republican in the House, have been forced to acknowledge the rising voices. Anything is on the table when we're in the majority, Stefanik said over the weekend, noting the border crisis is now inflaming her state. We're talking about New York. New York State is having a border crisis as illegal migrants have been shipped north to places like New York's Westchester County. We're focused like a laser on the crisis in America, she said. And what I hear from voters, even in my district in northern New York, because I represent Border Patrol officers who've been transferred again and again and again to the southern border, is that the crisis after crisis after crisis is a catastrophe. There's a potpourri of criminality from the top to the bottom of this government. And so many people in America that are normally law-abiding citizens are looking at these instances and somehow they're finding ways to reconcile it. Like, you know, it's okay. Yeah, it's not a good thing and yada, yada, yada. But these people, they really need help. We need to give them a chance, you know, a new life. They want to be just like us and have the same opportunities. Well, they could do that, but they need to do it legally. Until then, every person in government that steps against it they need to be removed and replaced by somebody who will do it. You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance with TNN, the Truth News Network. The following is an important time insensitive announcement from Staples. Now for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. What? Crawl or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. 
But act now or later because these Staples Everyday Price Cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price Cuts, like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These Everyday Price Cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest Staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing, everyday price cuts. Thank you. So it's this beautiful summer day, and while most guys would say, let's go to the beach, Donnie says, Hey, let's go to Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. They're having a warehouse sale. I say, are you serious? He says, your place needs furniture. And at this sale, you can get beautiful stuff and save 50, 60, even 80%. So we go to the Pilgrim Warehouse Sale. I buy a sofa, a love seat, and this really cute dinette set. But the big thing is, we pick it out together, Donnie and me. Maybe this relationship is going somewhere. The Warehouse Sale at Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. Well, what do we have coming up this Sunday? <laughs> it's a big day. It's a big day for everybody every year. Super Bowl. We don't we don't do a lot of talking about sports and stuff here at Truth News Network, TNN Live. But folks, sports is a really big part of a, the United States of America, and it gives us a great diversion. That, in large part, until all of this political correctness began in the National Football League about what now four or five years ago. Colin Kaepernick, the former quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, is the one that started it, and all of a sudden it got injected in athletics. It spread from the NFL to Major League Baseball to soccer to hockey, you name it. It's all become political. Let's just hope that this weekend we can put the politics to the side and just enjoy a Super Bowl. And speaking of Super Bowl... Joining us today, Trent Taylor. Trent Taylor of the Cincinnati Bengals. Wow, the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl. Who would have thought it? Trent, you've got a great story, and I want to dig in it. But first, let me just let me just say this. I am so proud for you. You represent Shreveport, Louisiana, and Evangel oh. Eagles and Louisiana Tech University. All of those are mine. And folks need to know this. You're mine, too. You're like one of my nephews. And, yes, sir. Uh, uh, this has been a great journey. It's been a challenging journey. But first of all, let me just say congratulations. Thank you very much, Dan. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Let's get after it. All right, buddy. Well, tell the folks, just give us the little skinny background from the draft till where you ended up in Cincinnati. Just real quick, and I'll stop you and get some details. I want everybody to understand what you've been through, but give us the journey, your perspective. Yeah. So, uh, I got drafted by the 49ers in 2017, uh, in the fifth round. Um, so I had a pretty good rookie year, had 43 catches. Um, so everything was looking good over there. And then going into year two, I had back surgery. Um, so I had a pretty slow year two. Um, so, yeah, back surgery was a tough one to come back from. A lot of nerve damage in my right leg. So that offseason was a grind going into year three. And then training camp year three, I had a Jones fracture in my foot. I was only supposed to miss the first couple games. You know, everything was looking good leading up to that point. 
So it was kind of like a protective surgery, so my foot didn't get extremely bad. So I had the first surgery done. Surgery was messed up a little bit, so they had to go in and redo it. And we went in and redid the surgery. And after that, we found an infection in my foot. So there's an infection in my bone that he had to go in and clean it out again, a third surgery. We thought everything was good. And then we look at it a week later and nothing's really changed. My foot is still pink, red all over the scar, still infected. So it took two more surgeries after that to finally get it cleaned up. And that whole process of that, I missed the entire season of the 2019-2020 season with the 49ers where we went all the way to the Super Bowl and lost. I was out in San Francisco, one of the games that you missed. We were sitting in the team hotel in the lobby, and of course yep. you had this thing on your leg and foot, and you had to excuse yourself and go back to your room because you had, what is it, something that you had to inject antibiotic directly into the bone. Yeah, so I had a, I had a pick line. It's like an IV pretty much in the side of my arm that was stuck in my arm for about six weeks, I think. And every eight hours, every eight hours for the next, for those six weeks, I had to do like an hour long process of injecting antibiotics, stuff to clean my system out to get that infection out. Yeah, I mean, I completely forgot about that until just now. That was like the most miserable part of that whole process because you can't get much sleep because, you know, I got to do it like 8 a.m., what is that, eight hours later, 4 p.m., and then at midnight. So, yeah, not much sleep was had in those six weeks. It was not fun. So, needless to say, things were pretty tough right then because it looked like you were going to be a big star for the 49ers. Trent's a slot receiver, and that's his specialty. Plus, he's a great kick and punt returner, but, but that was really upsetting. But let me just say this. You handled it like a true professional, but not just that. You handed it like a young man that knows what it's all really about. I'll never forget, you guys went to the Super Bowl. You played uh, Kansas City and Miami in the yep. 2020 Super Bowl. And I heard you on Radio Row do a interview, and the guys asked you how you felt about missing that season because of the circumstances you wished uh, you missed it. And you really set them straight in a very nice way about what was going on and where you were in it. Share that with us right now. What did you tell those people? In football, you get hurt, things happen, and you miss games. You know, that's part of it. But having to sit there and watch my team go to the Super Bowl and lose it, you know, without me being able to be out there because of something that a doctor did, I, it just really wasn't a good feeling. And it, it I mean, it hurt. It, it definitely hurt a lot. It was an emotional day at the Super Bowl not being able to play but but you know that's just part of it you know, I, I believe God has a plan for everything that I was going through and that's that's what I told those people that day that this is something that, that I can grow from something that I can learn from and I can be a better a tougher person because of it I mean it's crazy looking back at that now like you never know if you have another opportunity to be at a Super Bowl I think God's kind of honoring um honoring me right now with the Cincinnati Bengals, you know, getting another opportunity at that and actually playing in the game and, you know, having a part of being out there on the field. Talking about the Cincinnati Bengals and leaving the 49ers, tell us how that transition from San Francisco to Cincinnati went. How did that all come about? 
it was a different experience. You know, you you really realize how different each organization is. I mean, the 49ers were first class organization, loved everything about it. But, you know, end of the year meetings after the season last year, it was kind of a mutual departure for me. I knew I needed a fresh start. And that's that's what I told the coaches. And I think they were they were pretty much done with me at that point anyway. So it was mutual with that departure. And then, yeah, I went to Cincinnati for a workout. Uh, the workout went good. They signed me that day. I was on practice squad for the first half of the season, finally got called up. I've been slowly gaining the trust of the coaches, back being the punt returner, and now slowly getting some snaps on offense as well. So it's been going good. I've known you most of your life. I've watched your football career firsthand. For those of you listening in that don't know it, he came from a high school that is a perennial powerhouse in the state of Louisiana, 14 different state championships in every division classification in the state, but one. And Trent was a big part of that and is a great, hard worker. None of us questioned that you were going to make it. You're not a typical wide receiver in size and height, but you make up for it because you're a workaholic and you're as physical as I've ever seen anybody be in football. That had to be tough for you to have to start over again because I know how close you were to a a bunch of people on that San Francisco team. As a matter of fact, the greatest tight end in the game today, I think, (laughs) uh, was your best man in your wedding during COVID that y'all got married on the beach out there. That's George Kittle. Yes, sir. How did that make you feel leaving that? I mean, you knew that organization. It had to be tough to leave them. 100%. 100%. It definitely was. I mean, once once I got there, you know, being drafted to an, to an organization is a lot different than just like a free agent coming in because, you know, you, you come in as a drafted guy, so the coaches automatically have your back. You know, they want you to, to succeed as much as possible. And then you just, you just grow and you just grow those friendships uh, with all the rookies that you come in with. George was my best friend. We trained together. And then we both got drafted to San Francisco in the fifth round. Still my best friend today. And, you know, I have so many friends on that team that, you know, I still keep up with today. So, yeah, that was tough. Just kind of knowing that I'm going to have to restart, you know, make a bunch of new friendships. But at the, at the end of the day, you know that's part of the business. And it was going to happen at some point. That's just how the league works. Team each year is different. You know, guys come in and out. Yeah. Uh, so I knew that day was going to come for me uh, sooner or later. I bet you when you saw the Los Angeles-San Francisco game, I bet you were hoping that the 49ers would win so you would face that team. Oh, man, you don't even know. <laughs> I, was, I was rooting my butt off for that. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it would have been so cool just to see all my friends again. Sure. Like, see all the coaches. And then at the same time, it would have been good to, you know, have a little revenge game. You know, I have I have all the love in the world for Shanahan and all the coaches over there, but it still would have been fun to kind of shove it in their face a little bit, you know, give them a loss in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Let me ask you this. You're playing on a team right now that is stocked full with a bevy of really good wide receivers, aren't you? Fully stocked, yeah. We're I, I've said since since OTAs when I got here, I said I think we got the best receiving core in the league. And, you know, those guys have have definitely proved it throughout this whole season. We've been balling out. I think everybody in the NFL, every receiver, looks at Joe Burrow at quarterback, and they're like, if I could go anywhere, I'd want to go to the Bengals right now. Right. 
What kind of guy is he on the field? Uh, I, I think he's the type of leader that you want. You know, he's got that calm, quiet confidence. He's one of those guys that doesn't say too much, but everyone kind of takes Joe Burrow's personality throughout this whole team and just having a quiet confidence, not having to talk trash. We know we can get get the job done. Just watching the way that Joe works, it, it just gives everyone else confidence knowing that he's back there, you know, we can we can make it happen. Both the games against Kansas City, we came back from, what was it, like a 14-17 yeah. point deficit each time. I mean, that's just kind of a testament to the type of team that we are and the type of the leader uh, that Joe Burrow is. You got a guy that you work with. I want you to tell us about the other guy in the organization whose name is Taylor, Zach Taylor, your head coach. What kind of guy is he? I think that's the reason that this team has gelled so much because Zach's just – a good dude, you know, from his core. I think Zach's a huge reason why this team has been able to gel so well. The type of guy that he is, his personality, you know, he can he can talk to anybody, he can get along with anybody. A great dude with with a good heart, you know, wants the best for everyone, and obviously a great mind for the game as well. Where do you see your career going over the next few years? The injuries that I've had with my back surgery and the five-foot surgeries, it takes a bigger toll than I thought it would. You know, as a kid, you get hurt, you know, your body can just regenerate. But the older you get, the harder it is to make that happen. So I think right now I'm still, like, getting back to my old ways. You know, this is my first season in a while that I haven't been, like, recovering from an injury. Yeah. You know, this is the first time I've stayed healthy. You know, everything's gone smooth. My body feels great. So as long as I can just continue to build off of this season and continue to get my body back to the way that it used to be, you know, I think I still got plenty more years ahead of me. What do you think so, about the game next Sunday? I honestly think if I was a gambling man, which I'm not, I'm not allowed to be, I'd be putting my money on the Bengals to win this one. I think we've just gotten better each week, honestly. I think we've really learned about our team this second half of the season. I might just be saying that because I've been active. By the way, we haven't lost a game since I've been active. You know, I'll put that in there. <laughs> Secret weapon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think our team has just continued to grow as this season has went on. And I think we've just gained more and more confidence in what we can be as a team. Now that we've realized, like, how talented we really are. And, you know, winning all these playoff games and beating the Chiefs twice. Um, I think that's helped our team a lot, just realizing how good we can really be and I think we're going to put it all together for uh, one last time. Trent Taylor joining us today, getting ready for Super Bowl in SoFi Stadium. Have you played there yet? I have. I played once there last year against the Rams. One of the coolest stadiums I've been in. It's up there with like the Dallas Stadium. Yeah. Buddy, I can't tell you how excited we are for you. I know your, your mom and dad, Greg and Mickey, they are but beyond themselves with excitement, they are really living. They are living with <laughs> you in your life every day. They're two of the coolest people I've ever known. We're just excited, Trey, your brother and his family. We're just excited yep. for you guys. I can't wait for Sunday, buddy, and I can't wait to see you out there doing your thing. You're gonna you're gonna be doing punt returns, right? Yes, sir. I'll, I'll be uh, punt returning, and we got like. We got a couple plays where I'm in on offense. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so we'll see what happens. That, that's all I'm going to say about it. Yeah, I, I didn't think you'd even say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, listen, God bless you all. Give our love to Sarah. We can't wait to see you both. And, uh, Will do. 
You're amazing. You're my hero. I appreciate you, Dan. I love you, brother. Love you too, man. We'll see you soon. It's really cool to have a relationship with a guy like that, 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 that will speak from the heart. That's honest. And folks, I can tell you this. Watch for number 11, Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday. They have over the past few weeks, as you heard him say, they put him more involved uh, in the game plan there. And uh, he's kind of like a secret weapon, although everybody in the NFL knows him and knows that he's back healthy and that he is a difference maker. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a fun game. Don't in any way diminish the opponents that they have (laughs) because it's two good football teams, the Rams and the Bengals. We're going to take a break here, but when we come back, there's more in the world of sports going on. We don't talk much about sports here at TNN Live, but uh, there's another really, really big sporting event going on. What are we talking about? Of course, we're talking about the Olympics happening in China, and things are not going so well over there in China for a lot of people, including a lot of the people that are participating in the Olympics. We got that next at TNN Live. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals... Better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey Ed Itchy in Idaho, yes, the Culligan High Efficiency Water Softener will make that thing so soft it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels in a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep, there's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. You know, the Olympics, they've always been the mark, the, I guess, the uh, epicenter for all things athletic-related. The best in pretty much every sport in the world show up there every two years. One two-year period, you have the Winter Olympics. Two years later, you have the Summer Olympics. They used to do them all at the same time, but they would do it every other year. They just changed that format up a bit, and it's good in some ways, It's bad in some ways, but boy, having the Olympics in communist China, uh, I don't know, but it's made some big difference, big differences. 
Despite the IOC, the International Olympic Committee President Thomas Bach's call for peace at the opening of the Winter Olympics in Beijing, the reality seems a bit disjointed, including official delegation boycotts, all-time low viewership. And uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin dozed off during the Ukrainian team's entrance during the opening ceremony. In this Olympic spirit of peace, this is the IOC committee president, Thomas Bach speaking, I appeal to all political authorities across the world, observe your commitment to this Olympic truth. Give peace a chance. Hmm. Now he said that after the Olympic truce was passed by the United Nations General Assembly back in November. The truce, which has been observed by the UN since 93, 1993, calls for the cessation of hostilities from seven days before until seven days after the Olympic Games. However, the U.S., Canada, Australia, and the U.K. announced diplomatic boycotts of the Beijing Olympics, citing human rights violations. And they, of course, were talking about the Chinese Communist Party's abuse of a million Uyghurs who have been placed in internment camps. The Olympics have received all-time low viewership on NBC. I wonder if it's because of the Olympics or if it's because of NBC. All-time low, which found that there were nearly 14 million TV-only viewers for Friday's full-day opening ceremony. This was 43% lower than the 2018 Olympics in South Korea, which had 23 million viewers. In the last 30 years, the lowest viewership was 21 million for the 92 Barcelona Olympics. Only 8.7 million tuned in on NBC in prime time to see the pre-tape Mike Tirico and Savannah Guthrie-led coverage of the propaganda-heavy spectacle put on by Chinese President Xi Jinping and filmmaker Zhang Yimou. According to one poll, a morning consult poll of 2,000 American adults, 65% cited a lack of interest in the Olympic events. 57% said have no interest at all in athletics. And 40% said it was because China was hosting them. The Twitter hashtag Genocide Games also trended over the past couple of weeks referring to China's human rights violations. China also had some internal strife. Chinese social media users blasted 19-year-old U.S.-born figure skater Zhu Yi, who was competing for China. Why'd they boo her? She fell hard during her first combination attempt on Saturday as she slammed into a wall. She later stumbled on a triple loop attempt, placing last with a 47.03 score. The hashtag Zhu Yi fell over... (laughs) had over 230 million views by yesterday afternoon before the Chinese social media site Weibo took it down. Zhu's performance brought China down from third place to fifth, narrowly making it to the finals. So in a possible pointed snub from a world leader, Vladimir Putin dozed off when the Ukrainian athletes entered the stadium during opening ceremony. He sat alone with his eyes closed as the Ukrainian team made their entrance. However, by the time the Russian Olympic Committee team entered the stadium, 
Putin was wide awake, stood to salute them. Putin currently has more than 100,000 troops, by the way, on Ukraine's border, as President Biden has claimed that an invasion of Russia's neighbor, it appears to be imminent, going to be imminent. Well, you got two sporting stories back to back. You heard from Cincinnati Bengal wide receiver, punt return man, Trent Taylor. And then you heard about the uh, the real problems that the United States Olympic Committee and the International Olympic Committee are having with the Olympics this year. That's, that's usually in, in the past, in large part, it's been something that people from around the world can unite around. But it, just like everything else, has become politicized. I mean, top to bottom. And it gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse, and I don't see any let up and that happening anytime soon. Well, I'm going to blow your mind now. I'm going to talk about the big lie. What's the big lie? The big lie, of course, is that former President Donald Trump and MAGA people of all the ilk still believe the 2020 election was stolen. And then, of course, everybody on the other side says, there's no evidence, there's no evidence, there's no evidence. Well, what they should be saying to make their statements being truthful is no evidence of collusion, of voter fraud, has been allowed in court. There's a big difference between there was none and there hasn't been any evidence that, by the way, there's a bunch of to be allowed in court. So what are you talking about? Well, we got another whistleblower, and it's not just a person. According to a new whistleblower video, 80% of Delaware County and Pennsylvania precincts, they didn't have a valid chain of custody for any of those provisional paper ballots that were cast last November and 2020 November. The video and two others just came into the public purview provide even more evidence that while officials continue to deny that irregularities occurred during that presidential election in 2020, there were widespread violations of the election code in the large Pennsylvania county, but it didn't stop there. Those election officials, they have continued to try to cover it up. Regina Miller, a contract worker assisting Delaware County officials secretly filmed the videos as she helped election employees gather material in response to a right-to-know request that sought documentation that would confirm the election results that were certified by the county were accurate. In one of the several most recent videos, someone familiar with the situation, two employees are speaking. The first woman states, This is what a provisional bag looks like. As she continues to explain the process for safeguarding those ballots, following the close of the poll, she notes, and what we currently do not have is a valid chain of custody for all of those provisional ballots. The shocked whistleblower repeats the claim as a question. So are you saying we never had a chain of custody? The other woman replies that only 20% of precincts have locked the blue bag in the past. 
reference to the bag in which those provisional ballots are to be stored and kept safe. Personally, she said, I think that this is happening in every county in Pennsylvania. We're working on this antiquated law, a county election official noted, on top of the new law, she said, an apparent reference to changes instituted just before the 2020 election. A second video captures discussion between Delaware County Poll Worker Coordinator Christina Icona and Tom Gallagher, an attorney for Delaware County, about V, as in Victor, V drives. Those are removable drives that contain the election results obtained from the county's individual voting machines. This video starts with the whistleblower saying she was concerned with the the V drives were returned to the county. Gallagher then detailed what happened, with the hidden camera capturing him saying the county employee dumped them in a bag, put them in a box, and puts it on the top of the hood of her car. The election worker then started rattling off problems. She goes, we don't have anything for Chester 11, and another precinct is missing. Gallagher mimics what the employee identified in the video merely as Loreen said as she passed the box of V-drives and other election material to the county attorney. Do you have a piece of paper with that on it, Gallagher explained, he asked. She didn't. Noting she said, no, that's why I'm telling it to you. She didn't even have an inventory. So what's this all mean, folks? Folks, there was massive voter irregularity. Was it fraud? That's subjective. That is subjective. Most people believe that there was fraud. Will we ever know? I don't know, folks. I don't know. We're going to get to the bottom of it someday. We're going to know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Have a great day, folks. Thanks for being at TNN Live. We'll see you tomorrow back here at 9 a.m. Central. There is a day when the angels blush So overjoyed with the world they see They finally rest for a while And may even smile Observing the earth in glee And there is warmth despite December Our little games we can't remember There's so much more that matters today If only we could live like this Every day of the year Angels blush Angels blush In the Christmas glow of love Angels blush Does it come from this time of peace? Why do we all wish each other well? It must be divine intervention Melting the ice of hearts under heaven's spell And there is warmth despite December Our little games we can't remember There is much more that matters today If only we could live like this Every day of the year
Observing the earth and clear.